Last week, Pastor Danielle shared on the parable of the lost things from Luke chapter 15. And we just want to reiterate it as our hope and our prayer that Spark Church gets started with the idea and the concept and the truth of of Jesus' teachings that you are deeply and passionately, exorbitantly loved by God, not because of who you are, not because of what you've done, almost in spite of who you are. That that's God's extravagant, amazing love. And so uh, the message from last week was on uh, the parable of this, what we often call a prodigal, um, prodigal son. Uh, but as we'll see a little bit, this is a little bit of a different title than perhaps it should be. The Father's love is so amazing, so big, we can't get our brains wrapped around this. And so I just wanted to reiterate and kind of re-emphasize for you, I don't, it doesn't matter where you've come from, who you are, God has tremendous love for you. If you're a bit of a smart aleck, if you feel like you're a bit obnoxious, if you feel like you've got a little bit of that in you, you know, we want to let you know that you are deeply, passionately loved. If you come from a different ethnicity and and are trying to get involved with a different culture and you're having cultural challenges and you're not quite sure, you, (laughs) I love that sign, you are deeply loved. And then more seriously, unfortunately, the name of Jesus and the reputation of God and the voice of Christianity out there has been loud in some particular areas. And if you have ever found yourself on a sign, or if you've ever found yourself carrying a sign, or if you've ever felt like a category or a stamp or a label has been upon you, we want you to know deeply that you are loved. That is the fundamental premise of what this church is and the message of Jesus and the foundation upon which everything lives. If you happen to love the tigers, you need to move, but we still passionately love you. And if you think baseball is better than soccer, if you think any sport is better than soccer, then we are going to love the sinner and hate the sin. That's what we're going to do here. Ultimately, you need to know that you are loved. And this teaching that Pastor Daniel gave last week is so critical and so foundational to what we're going to talk about today. I just wanted to make sure that we emphasize that. Because so often we skip over the passionate love of God for us and we skip right to what you should be doing or how you should be acting. And the entire thing is predicated, the entire thing is foundational upon this amazing love of God. It is often uh, said that the word prodigal means, um, well, this is the definition, wasteful or recklessly extravagant, giving or yielding profusely. It's lavish. It's it's abundant. I, I even like that word wasteful. And it's fascinating to me that this parable in our culture has been known as the prodigal son. Because in our context, in the way in which we think about things, it is the son who is the wasteful one. And as we're going to see today, that that idea, the concept that this story is the prodigal son, may be more conditioned by our biases and the way we think about the scriptures and the way we think about faith and Christianity more than what the story is actually telling us. Because this really isn't the story of the prodigal son. 
This is really more the story of the prodigal father, the prodigal God, meaning that God's love is extravagant, meaning that the father's love is wasteful. That's right, wasteful. It doesn't make any sense. Today we're going to talk about God's, uh, not only God's love for us, but we're going to talk about our love for God. And before we got there, I wanted to just, I don't think it can be overemphasized that the only way in which we can love God is to recognize first and foremost that he first loved us. And any pressure or burden or guilt that we may feel towards how we're supposed to act and how we're supposed to behave, if it doesn't first start with God's amazing love for us, then we've missed something tremendous in that. So in Matthew chapter 22, this passage that we're going to read, I think Jesus shares something that is absolutely brilliant and absolutely radical to this world. And I watch a lot of these talks. I don't know if you've ever seen these or not. But Ted has this uh, wonderful platform where they share ideas. And this tagline at the very end of their uh, introductory video is ideas worth sharing. And this is why I'm so glad that you guys are a part of Spark and hanging out with us. Because I think this idea is a phenomenal idea worth sharing. It's an idea that can radically transform everything. And I'd like to share with you a little bit of how I see that. Matthew chapter 22, we're going to start in verse 34. It's on page 692 if you're in uh, the Blue Bibles here. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, there's a couple things I want to share with you that might be helpful for understanding. The first thing is that in Jewish tradition, there's, a, there's an idea that there are 613 commandments in the scriptures. Now, that comes from the idea that the very first commandment in the, in the Bible isn't in the Ten Commandments. It's actually in the first uh, book of the Bible in Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply. And so the rabbis and the Jewish tradition would go through the entire scriptures and see these commandments and see that there's multiple, multiple commandments, which are really more understood as teachings as well as commandments. And they added them all up. And throughout tradition, there's come this idea that there are 613. Now, there's some wonderful things that they do in seeing pictures in that. For example, 365 negative commandments for the number of days in the year and 240 positive commandments, as they say, for the number of limbs in our body, and I'm not quite sure exactly how they calculate that, but the number of bones, I've heard it both bones and limbs. Okay, so we'll, we'll, there has something to do with our body anyway. The problem or the challenge comes in this, is when you have all of these commandments, how do you keep them all? How do you obey them all? How do you honor them all? So there's discussion that comes up. What is the greatest commandment? And the, uh, the Greek in there is the word mega. Everybody say mega. And like, like mega mind or mega millions. Uh, I, saw, I saw a whole bunch of graphics on Google on mega. 
And the idea of mega commandment is really this idea that there must be a commandment that is above and beyond all of them. And if I can obey and honor that commandment, that teaching, then that will help me obey the rest of them. Or that will help include all of the rest of them if I just can get this one down. The problem is, in our understanding of all of these commandments, we have, because we're a very linear to-do list kind of a people, we've often seen this idea of the greatest commandment in a linear to-do kind of a way. And I've heard this, you know, I am loving God and you almost um, everything else comes secondary. And the idea and the interpretation of this mega or the greatest commandment is that you do this first and everything else is just kind of comes after it. If you have time or if you have energy or if you have spiritual, you know, grist, you can get to that. But Jesus doesn't say just that this is the greatest commandment. He adds this phrase in here that he says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two. Kind of like this. In other words, a different way of seeing this commandment is all the other commandments all the other teachings that are found in this amazing book, all the other stipulations, the guides, all of those other things, they hang on this one thing, loving God. Loving God. It's not a, I love God first, and then I do all of these other things. It's, I am loving God by doing all of these other things. But then Jesus does something really twisted in there. Wait a second. Loving God is a little bit easier for me because this is an abstract idea that I can get involved with. I can love God. But loving my neighbor, the second is like it and unto it. The way that I see this is so brilliant in my mind. How you treat one another, Jesus is saying, is equal to how you're treating God. And those two commandments together form then the foundation and the filter and the lens through which you see everything else. It's not the first and second thing that you do and then everything else. It is everything wrapped up In those two, you love God and you love people, and those are the two same things. And by the way, I can tell how you're loving God by how you love people. Remember, go back to that list of kinds of people that we have in our lives. Now, why is this important? Because I think all of us have probably had this kind of experience in our lives. How many of you know who this person is? Church lady, yes. This church lady characterization actually comes from, um, Dana Carvey actually lived in the Bay Area, and from what I understand of the story, this is an actual woman from a church in San Mateo, so this is like really close to home. 
of somebody who would come to you and say, the Bible says, and they'll throw a verse at you, and they'll throw a teaching at you, and they will pull it out of its context and throw it in your face, and they'll shove it in your way and say, listen, you have to do this. This is clearly what God is commanding. This is clearly what God is saying. And it's clearly written in there, and you're like, of course it's written in there, but how do you... The idea of loving God and loving people as the greatest, the mega commandment upon which everything else hangs means now that everything that you see in here, every teaching, every commandment, every stipulation, hangs on this. Are you loving God and loving people in the way that you interpret that verse? Are you loving God and loving people in the way that you see what that verse is saying? Are you loving God and loving people in the way you are living out and practicing what those verses teach? See, in the scriptures, and I just did a quick Google search of a whole bunch of topics and ideas that are found in the scriptures. Uh, I mean, you could go on and on and on by all the different things, and depending upon the pockets and the circles that you're in, you'll get in little very staunch arguments about different things and different ideas and different theologies, and this happens in popular culture too, where you have a little bit of a soundbite on a news program, and they say, well, the Bible says, and I'm sorry for my southern accent, every time I do that, I don't know why that happens. My apologies. And Jesus says, okay, let's, let's figure out not just what are their priorities. How do we actually see them? It's a change of vision. It's a change of paradigm. It's a change of what you're looking through. And he gets to this one commandment, love. And he says, if you get this right, if you understand that this is the mega commandment, this is the one upon which everything else hangs, then guess what? That's going to drastically affect how you see all the others. It's not a prioritization. It is a lens through which you look. To love God is to see the Bible and life and everything else through love-colored glasses. Now, this to me is so radical because this isn't just about taking things at face value and saying none, one, two, three, four, oops, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and putting them in order. It's to say the glasses that I've had on have been moralism or Americanism or my culture or my identity or my hurt and my pain or whatever it is in that particular way. But now it's to say you don't see just through those lenses. You see through the lenses of love. That's the command. You see through the lens of love. Paul picks this up in a couple other places. These references are on the back of your bulletin is, and are there on the screen. Any other commandment is summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. You hear that. How, how do you interpret those passages? How do you see? How do you read those? How do you live those out? And then in Galatians five fourteen, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love of God changes how we think, how we read, how we interpret. It changes how we see. And before I used to see love of God as this one thing over here, and then I'm going to get to the moral stuff, and boy, am I going to really... No, no, no. That's the love of God and the love of people and those two things together puts on a different set of glasses for me. Now I can see all of the other commandments and all the other teachings through the lens of love. Oh, that's what God's been doing this entire time. Those difficult passages that you run into when you do your reading plan and you go, what in the world is that doing in there? Or that makes no sense to me. 
put on the lens of love. Maybe God is loving in a way that we're not quite sure that we're having to learn, that we're having to understand, but maybe there's love that's being pushed through the things that we don't understand. That's why we do things like foundation experiment where we read through the Bible and we teach through. So that's number one. To love God is to see the Bible through love-colored glasses. Two, and also I think most important, to love God is to be radically transformed. To be radically transformed. What we talked about in seeing the Bible is the teaching on the head. But as with everything, anything uh, in the scriptures that talk about teaching and the commandments that are given to us are not just things that we know. They're things that we feel and they transform something in here. Um, Pastor Danielle and I have been in ministry a long time and I work at a school and we've been working with kids for a long time. And we know when we counsel people and we meet with people, we all live out of something. Our roots go deep down into all sorts of things that cause us to act and to behave in ways that are often dysfunctional and chaotic. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes the, way in which, the ways in which we treat each other are really not done out of love for that person or out of love of God. They're done because we're angry or because we're hurt. Perhaps it's just because we're deeply insecure and we're trying to save our hearts and protect ourselves. Sometimes it's done out of pride or arrogance or malice, and sometimes it's just done of good old plain deceit and evilness. Every single one of us, including myself, have said things, done things, acted in ways that have lived out of these ways. Um, But this message, if we learn the commandment to love God, that could actually change what's going on in our hearts. This is his prayer. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. And then passages like this in 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love. One of my favorite passages, but perfect love casts out fear. So if you've been living your life out of a sense of fear, whether that's through your relationships, whether that's through your work, whether that's through raising kids, whether that's through your friendships, whatever it is, you've been living out of fear, and the reason why you've said something to that other person that was hurtful or dysfunctional is because you were so afraid that if you didn't, it was going to mean something else. By living out this love of God and loving of people, it could actually radically shift the foundation of how we live, out of what roots we live. Above all, love covers, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And just like the scripture passages with all of those lists of things that we teach and we, we command and we read and all of those Bible passages, just like that, so also love could possibly wipe away all of those other roots that are deep down inside of us. In other words, to take on the command to love God and to love people is not just heady intellectual, okay, this is what I have to do. It's to actually shift your heart and to say, oh, this relationship that I'm in, this decision that I'm having to make in business, 
Uh, There's a book actually published recently by Joel Mamby entitled Love Works, and it's a business book on how love, if I can love my customers, if I can love my employees, if I can love the people that I work for, how that could radically change business. Love can rid us of malice. Love can rid us of anger. Love can rid us of insecurity. Love can rid us of all of those things. And it can radically transform how you relate to one another, how you share with one another, and how you act and how you behave. One of the principles that I've been trying to live by, I'm not very good at this when I counsel with students, is this. Whenever you see a behavior that you know is destructive or disruptive or not very beneficial, oftentimes our strategy is to try to remove that behavior to try to figure out a way for you to stop doing or stop saying the things that you've been saying and stop doing the things that you've been doing. And I've shifted philosophy and says, I don't just want you to stop because that takes a lot of discipline. It's hard to stop. And what happens if you stop doing the behavior? You've left a void. So one of the fundamental principles that I've started to employ and I try to use it in my own life is you don't just want to remove, you want to replace. Don't just remove the bad behavior. Don't just remove the bad thoughts. Okay, I'm going to try to not think about this. I'm not going to think about this. I'm not going to do this. Don't just try to remove. Replace it with something else. In other words, don't just try to stop being angry. Why don't you try to start being loving? Don't just try to stop being deceitful. Why don't you start being compassionate? Don't just try to stop being dysfunctional. Why don't you start being caring? Don't just remove the behavior, replace it. In other words, I really believe, and this is why our, one of our core, if not the core value of Spark, is to love. Number one, to recognize that you are loved by God, that all of this that we're talking about is really just merely a response to who God is and his amazing love for us. When we love God, And when we love our neighbor, it radically transforms how we see. So put on love-colored glasses. And and different from rose-colored. Rose-colored is to almost be in a bit of a, um, you're being deceived or you're not really seeing reality. This is different. This is actually seeing reality the way it should be. This is seeing into reality by putting on love-colored glasses. And, And second of all, When you love, and when you take on this love and replace what has been in your heart with a commitment to love God, then the center of your heart, the roots of your heart, shift. And this is not to neglect the pain and the anger and the frustration and the things that come in life. It's not to negate that. It's not to ignore that. It's to say, I refuse to live out of that. I have a new commandment. I have a mega commandment. I have a mega teaching upon which everything else in my life hangs. And that is to love God, to love people. And I'm going to be imperfect at it. I'm going to fail at it. I'm, I'm going to get it wrong sometimes. But I, I'm going to believe with the depths of my soul and my being that if I can love God and love people in the way God has asked us to love, it could radically transform and change everything in my life. It is an idea, I think, that is worth 
sharing. Let me close us in a word of prayer, and we will go love something else. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I just want to pray a blessing over these brothers and sisters who have gathered into this place. Thank you so much that they have come together. It is a blessing to uh, come together as a church to see faces and friends. Uh, God, continue to grow us closer to each other. And Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that the teaching that you have given us, this mega commandment to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our might, would truly captivate us, and that we would strive for it more and more every single day. God, that we would be open in our soul to allowing that commandment to transform the way we see, to transform the way we think, to transform the way we live, and to transform the roots and the center of our very lives. God, would you just do that work in us, in every single one of us? And that's our prayer. Pray this in your name. Amen.